Hello and welcome back for another episode of the Northern Agenda podcast where we get outside the Westminster bubble and look at the big political stories affecting the north of England. I'm Rob Parsons, a journalist who covers the politics of the north from my home in Leeds. I put it all in a daily email newsletter called the Northern Agenda. And without blowing my own trumpet, I think anyone who's interested in how politics really works is going to enjoy my interview this week. It's with the broadcaster Michael Crick, who I'm sure followers of politics over the last 40 years will know is the esteemed broadcaster and journalist who is a founding member of the Channel 4 News team in 1982 and has served as political editor of Newsnight. There's lots of famous clips of him doorstepping politicians, giving them a really hard time over the years. He's also a former pupil of Manchester Grammar School and a Manchester United fan for his sins, but that wasn't what I wanted to ask him about today because Michael is the man behind the fantastic Tomorrow's MPs Twitter account, which sheds a light on the often secretive and murky way that the main parties choose their election candidates. Obviously big news with possibly only a year to go until the next general election. There's some amazing colour in the interview about the dark arts of politics here from a journalist who really has seen it all. So without further ado, let's hear the interview. Michael Crick, good afternoon. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. And you? But yeah, very good. Very good. Um, now, um, I should probably just tee up this interview by explaining to our listeners that we met at Labour conference in Liverpool a few weeks ago. I think we just watched an event about proportional representation featuring Andy Burnham. Uh, and, I, and I recall, actually, that the host of the event pointed you out in the crowd and said, oh, look, it's Michael Crick. Uh, and I, I, I managed to get away scot-free. No one noticed I was there at all, which was fine by me. And I, I was wondering, does that happen a lot to you? Because you're quite well known, I think, as and, and you have you know a few quite confrontational sort of moments of, of journalism in your history when you turn up at events people think oh crikey he's gonna cause cause some trouble occasionally uh, i think um given my past <laughs> some some people are a bit frightened of me which uh you know i don't know what to think of that that well they, well, they shouldn't be frightened of me I, you're, i'm nice and cuddly as you uh, as you know and that, that that evening laura parker who's the chair of the event uh, I know Laura quite well, and you know it was a a private tease as well as a, a as a public one. But um, I'm sure. And then she I'm asked sure. me what my favourite ABBA song was or something, and I, I I I couldn't come up with a good reply. Was the point of it that she wanted you to say the winner takes it all because it was all about proportional representation, wasn't it? Yeah, sorry, that was the point of it, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, at least I remember. She, we we didn't get we got got there in the end. Anyway, um, we're talking about tomorrow's. MPs, which is the uh, Twitter account that you set up about a year ago, uh, I think, maybe maybe a bit more. About 15 months ago, yeah. yeah. Maybe you're going to start off, just tell us what prompted you to set it up in the first place? How did that come about? Well, I've always been fascinated by uh, parliamentary selections. It seems to me that they're a very hidden area of British politics, and yet they're crucial in uh, political careers and in other ways as well. I mean, for, for many politicians, the moment they are chosen for a good seat, a seat they're going to win, uh, and in many cases uh, will win for decades, is the great turning point in their careers. Some people can take ages. Michael Howard, I think, had 30 goes over about 20 years. Uh, Betty Boothroyd, of course, who died a few months ago, uh, it took her ages to get chosen for a good seat. 
But once they are chosen for a good seat, often their careers take off and it's the real turning point. But more important, I think, is that it deserves a lot more journalistic scrutiny, in my view, because the people who are chosen as candidates uh, and as members of parliament uh, go on, in many cases, to be ministers. So we're, in a way, I should have called the, podca- the, the, the Twitter feed not at tomorrow's MPs, but at tomorrow's MPs and ministers, but that would have been a bit unwieldy. Uh, but it's crucial. Uh, and if we are interested in improving the quality of our members of parliament and of our ministers and of government in general, we should focus a lot more on who it is that is being chosen as candidates, uh, the quality of them, uh, is the quality good enough? Uh, what can we do to improve it? And on top of that, it's full of great stories, as you know yourself, Rob. Uh, you know, there's no uh, parliamentary selection uh, for a winnable seat that is straightforward. It's full of fixes and fiddles and cock-ups and accidents. I mean, did you know, for instance, that back in 1958, when Margaret Thatcher was chosen as the candidate for Finchley in North London, she didn't actually win the selection. She lost by two votes. Uh, But the chairman of the local Conservative Association was so taken by the 32-year-old Margaret Thatcher, thought she was brilliant and beautiful and brilliantly intelligent and was going places, that he switched two votes uh, in her favour from her opponent. And uh, and this only came out, um, you know, decades later, and it's in Charles Moore's book. And he sort of, the chairman did that because he thought um, that her opponent, who'd won the VC in the Second World War, was bound to get selected somewhere else within a matter of months. And so therefore, it wasn't much damage. Only her opponent didn't ever get selected anywhere. Uh, And uh, Margaret Thatcher, of course, went on to uh, uh, much greater things. I suspect she would have been chosen anywhere before, somewhere before long anyway. Uh, But it it just shows, uh, you know, what goes on behind the scenes. And I try and get behind a bit of this. But Frankly, I'm only scratching the surface. I wish I had, you know, people to help me. I wish I had uh, money to employ people. But it's a start, and I do hope to develop the uh, the 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 the, pod, the 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 Twitter feed. I keep calling it the podcast, the Twitter feed, or, or the X feed. Uh, what a ridiculous phrase! Uh, into something much more substantial uh, once the the next general election is over. Well, yeah, I'd like to hear more about that later. But I mean, it, it's been a, a great success, even what you've done so far. Sort of in excess of 30,000 followers, I think. And it, it really, uh, you, you dig up sort of nuggets about selection races that I that I think people otherwise wouldn't be dug up. And I guess um, the point is that the big parties, let's, let's focus on Labour and the Conservatives, They the way they would much rather have it is that, the selection process would go on, no one would pay any attention to it, and then they announce their candidate in a big blaze of publicity and uh, fully formed, and you never find out about how they got selected in the first place and whether whether who got defeated, who didn't make it, whether people are annoyed, all that kind of thing. But and I guess you know your 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 job, what you made your your mission is to stop that from happening. Exactly, and I think that uh, this deserves a lot more scrutiny, not just from me, but from other people as well. I mean, you think about it, the selection of parliamentary candidates is a bit like the primary system in America, where candidates, not just for the presidency, but for Congress, the Senate, and the state institutions in each state, are chosen through a primary system for each of the parties, the Democrats and the Republicans. And that is a very public process. And so if you've got candidates 
who are crooks or thick or just not up to the job, that is exposed at a much earlier stage in the system. Whereas this uh, secrecy that we have in this country, particularly uh, on, uh, from the Conservative Party, is a recipe, really, for bad MPs. I mean, it's, it, it astonishes me, for instance, that in the Conservative Party, when members of an association turn up for a selection meeting, they don't know officially who the candidates are until they're handed a piece of paper as they go in the front door. So they've got no opportunity to, you know, consult, hey, this guy who's standing here, isn't he the guy that defrauded you 10 years ago? Or, you know, isn't he the, some, the guy that touched up your daughter? Uh, and so the, the, the process of scrutiny and transparency, I hope, will weed out uh, some of the, the wrong-uns and some of the people who, frankly, are not up to being an MP before they ever get to Westminster. Now, you know, I'm sure many, many will still get through and I'm, you know, I'm not trying to make great claims for what I'm doing. But I think if we all were to scrutinise candidates for candidates for being candidates, as it were, what I call contenders for being candidates, then the quality of our MPs uh, might improve a bit. But my overall philosophy is that we need to improve the quality of our MPs, our people in public life. And the world faces some enormous problems like right now, probably bigger problems than civilizations ever had before. And it's important that the best people and the best brains are at Westminster to do that. And there are all sorts of faults within the selection processes that mean that we end up with mediocrities and in some cases crooks. Well, on, on that subject, I mean, the, the case that sticks in my mind most readily is that of uh, Jared Amara, uh, Sheffield Hallam MP, chosen in 2017 by the Labour Party. Obviously, that was a... Uh, That's an astonishing uh, story, that is. A, a snap a snap election. There no, wasn't it wasn't a snap story. election. This no, is, it wasn't. No, you're right. You're th- right. There wasn't a, a, you can't say that was a snap election. The Labour or at least Labour Party can't say it was a snap election. The Jeremy Corbyn and all the Labour leadership had been going around for months saying Theresa May is going to call a snap election. You know, ever since she was elected the previous July, and yet when she did call it <laughs> in April uh, 2017, Labour had not got in place a single candidate in any seat apart from the seats it then held. So there's no way in a million years they can ever claim it came as a surprise when they've been telling everybody to expect it. What happened in Sheffield Hallam was one of the most disgraceful things. The uh, What they basically did, Labour was, uh, when that election was called, Labour was completely on the defensive. That Basically, it was a matter of holding on to the seats we have now. The, the Conservatives were 21% ahead in the polls, if you remember. And so what they did was all, all the constituencies where they didn't have sitting MPs, they basically said, right, uh, we'll divide the country up into regions and each region will have a, an NEC national executive panel of three people, just three people, uh, to select the candidates in all of those areas. And for the Yorkshire and Humber area, uh, they had this panel to decide all the and all in one day. And they didn't they didn't interview the people who applied. Uh, they didn't get them to make a speech. There was no contact with them. They were just flicking through CVs. And that's how Jared Amara got chosen for Sheffield Hallam. Uh, Labour didn't expect to win Sheffield Hallam. And f- and in one day, this panel chose uh, four people who went on to be- get elected as MPs without even meeting them, without interviewing them. Astonishing. And 
even more astonishing, and I haven't managed to confirm this, is I'm told that actually the panel was just one person, the chair person of the panel, that the other two members of the panel weren't able to turn up. So that one person, if that is true, chose Jared Amara and the three others. And it's pretty you know, isn't it? If they'd interviewed Amara, or they'd got him to make a speech, or if he had to meet local members, or if they'd done proper scrutiny on him, they would never have chosen him. I mean, he couldn't even get elected as a Sheffield councillor. So why they thought he was appropriate to be an MP is beyond me. And of course, the same happened in Peterborough. They elect, they chose a woman, uh, Fiona Onasanya, who ended up going to jail for uh, for, for perjury. And there were various other uh, duff Labour MPs who were chosen in that process in 2017 because the Labour Party were too lazy to start selecting candidates at an early stage when they had been uh, claiming, maybe it was their claims were a lie. Maybe they didn't believe there was going to be a snap election, uh, which is even worse in a way. But that, that story is one of the most uh, amazing. It just shows you, the, you know, the role of cock-up and incompetence in British politics. Yeah, well, there's certainly a lot of that. And uh, I mean, it became apparent very early on, as soon as Omara was elected, beating Nick Clegg. Yes. Uh, let's not forget that. He, that Jared Omara had a lot of issues, a lot of vulnerabilities. He was manifestly unsuitable to be an MP. It became very obvious very quickly. And lo and behold, uh, two or three years later, he was convicted of fraud for claiming fa- tens of thousands of pounds to fund his significant cocaine habits, I think maybe cementing his status as one of the, the worst MPs ever to grace the House of Commons, although you may, you may have uh, opinions about other people who are even even worse than that. But it, I guess um, it, it makes me think that, that you contrast that with the approach that Labour takes now, and I've been reporting on this a bit uh, in the Northern Agenda, uh, specifically in Calder Valley in West Yorkshire, where Keir Starmer's office is taking uh, a, a keen interest in the candidates that are selected, such a keen interest, in fact, that they are intervening quite early in the process, picking a long list of contenders to be the candidate, which often eliminates or blocks quite popular and seemingly well-qualified local politicians, often from the left of the party, uh, and then leaving a smaller pool and perhaps a less broad sort of pool of, of contenders for for voters to to pick. And so that, that's happened in the Calder Valley this week. There's a local councillor called Scott Patient, uh, who is uh, a senior councillor in Calderdale. He, I think he would have had a, a good expectation of making the shortlist of three that the Labour uh, Regional Executive Committee put together, but he didn't. And he's gone on social media and uh, spoken about his Frustration and sadness about how he has missed out and t- and high quality local female candidates have missed out. And there are stories like that across uh, across the north of England, across the whole country, aren't there? Oh, yeah. I mean, this is the most fixed round of Labour selections ever, in my view. And it's totally it's I mean, it, you know, officially, it's all about uh, you know due diligence. It's all all about making sure that inadequate MPs like Jared Amara are not chosen again. And I'm sure there's an element of that. But there's also a huge element of politics, of basically annihilating the left. And, you know, if you look at the 170 Labour candidates chosen so far, there's only about five that you could say are on the left, many of them actually in your area in the north. Um, But 
um, they have they, they basically judge left wing candidates by much much higher um, standards than they do the the favoured sons and daughters, the people favoured by Lotto, as it's known, the leader of the opposition's office. And there are, you know, there's a there's a guy called Matt Folding who's been heavily involved in all of this. Uh, there's another guy called Matt Pat. There are various key figures there. I don't Starmer himself hasn't got time to get involved in choosing individual candidates. But basically, these are people who have their their background is in in right wing groups within the Labour Party uh, in the past, and now they're at the centre. They've now got jobs in Starmer's office and the party headquarters. They see it as their job to annihilate. The left, but they do so on, on you know, with total, total uh, double standards. I mean, for instance, uh, there was one candidate um, who, who one, one candidate who's standing for Labour at the next election, who said in 2009 he'd had a row with uh, Jan Moyer, a journalist from the Daily Mail, and this candidate said on uh, social media, uh, he said he, he basically spoke about um, shoving Jan Moyer under a train. And he said, there would be nothing natural about the old hag's death if I shoved the bigoted old hag under a train. That was in one uh, tweet, I think it was. And the second one, second tweet, considering starting my own vigilante org to push nasty people under trains. First up, Jan Moyer, followed by Geert Wilders, who's the the far right uh, uh, Dutch politician. Now, um, you know who that person was who who, who said... uh, those two horrendous tweets. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. Where's Streeting? No, really. Shadow Health Secretary. He was twenty-six at the time. He wasn't a you know a, a, a irresponsible teenager. He was twenty-six at the time. President of the National Union of Students. Now, if anybody on the left had had come out with a tweet that was one tenth as bad as those two tweets, that would be it. Their their Labour career would be over. But the people on the left are judged by really high, incredibly high bar. And if you look into anybody's background, their social media output, you'll always find something, even yours and mine, Rob, there'll be something in our social media tweets. But And and this annihilation of the left is mad in my view, because Labour as a party historically has always thrived on having a good contingent of left-wingers in Parliament, in the Cabinet, people like Barbara Castle and John Prescott and Tony Benn, Michael Foote, Richard Crossman. In my view, um, Angela Rayner would never get selected as a Labour candidate these days, nor would Robin Cook, nor would all the people I've mentioned. It's become, you know, they're just, it's almost as if these guys working for Starmer, working for the party, are out for revenge against the left, against against uh, what happened during the Corbyn years, and they want to make sure it'll, it'll never happen again. The trouble is that you're 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 you've got no you, a good self confident political party or a, and a government needs alternative views. You need somebody who's going to say in cabinet. Well, Prime Minister, are you sure this is quite the right way of doing things? Are you sure this is going to work? How about doing it this way rather than that way? And if you don't have alternative ideas and don't have a bit of dissent, you get into boring uh, uh, politics. You get into, you know, as we've seen under under the Conservatives, actually, if you if you get rid of all your opponents from your party, you're only setting yourself up to trouble. And self-confident leaders People like Attlee and Abraham Lincoln thrived on bringing in people of a different hue to their own to within to, to, to into their cabinets.
So let's we've talked about the you know the general principles of what's going on here. Let's let's drill, drill down into some of the uh, more local specifics because obviously the, the beauty of uh, tomorrow's MPs the the account is that you 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 you, you know you, you bring up the, the the minor minute details of individual candidates and individual races and there's loads of really fascinating ones uh across the north we, we were speaking before we came uh started recording and you were telling me about some of the ones you've taken an interest in uh in northern england maybe you could just take us through a few of the more interesting ones in, in our neck of the woods well um i mean one of the ones uh it was, was quite a few months ago now was in bolton northeast um where the um uh, a guy called lee drennan who was chairman of the northwest labor party and he was trying to uh, become uh, the candidate for Bolton Northeast, a close ally of um, Angela Rayner from East Manchester. And he wasn't even allowed on the uh, long list for Bolton Northeast. Uh, he was never really given uh, proper reasons uh, why not. And instead, they chose um, uh, a young woman called Kirith Entwistle uh, as their candidate. Clearly, she was blessed with... Uh, as the lotto candidate, as the, you know, blessed from on high. Um, originally, there was talk, actually, that Kirith Entwistle's husband was going to stand for the candidature. But no, she stood and she got it. And um, poor old Lee Drennan, um, you know, wasn't even allowed to uh, be on the short list, long list or the short list. Now, you know, why do that? Why not, you know, why not have a, a, a strong bit of strong competition? And the trick that the parties the Labour Party high command play and the Conservatives do this to some extent is that they have they basically decide uh, in Starmer's office and Labour HQ who they would like uh, to be the candidate and they've you know they'll have advised them over the months and given them a you know a tip off as to when it's going to be when the selection's going to happen or maybe even consult them and say look it would it be inconvenient if we held it in mid-October or whatever and um, and then the the clever thing they do is they make sure that there's no decent competition. Uh, you know, so you have a shortlist that is, um, you know, I, I, I parody is, uh, you know, the Archangel Gabriel up against Peter Sutcliffe and Harold Shipman. And, you know, the party members haven't really got any choice in that case. They go for the Archangel Gabriel. Surprise, surprise. Although it doesn't always happen. Sometimes they get rebellious and choose uh, one of the... Uh, uh, one of the others. But um, you see that again and again and again, that trick of uh, basically the shortlist where there's only one choice. And and Labour's always done that, you know, for decades. Uh, there was another one in, um, what's the constituency called? Leeds, uh, Leeds West and Morley. It's a new seat. And um, the, uh, the the guy who was the chosen person there was called, is a, a, a Leeds councillor called uh, Mark Sewards. Um, he doesn't seem particularly remarkable, but uh, anyway, he clearly had the, um, you know, the, uh, the, 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 the imprimatur of the, uh, the high command. They clearly wanted him to win. And uh, there were about 30 applications for this uh, Labour seat. And yet the, it ended up as a shortlist of just two names. And Mr. Sewards was up against a woman uh, who's only 20 called Anna Baxter, uh, she only left school two years ago. She's at York University now in her third year. She was elected as a councillor uh, in uh, in May in York. Um, I'm sure she's got a you know a brilliant career ahead. But what? Why did that happen? That there was only a shortlist of two people, one of whom's only twenty, 
um, in you know when there were so many applications. And what seems to have happened is that Anna Baxter uh, was approached by the regional office at the very last moment uh, and asked to put her name forward and told that uh, well we need some more women and uh, you know the, the, you won't be the only one and uh, we just need to you know beef up the shortlist. Obviously you're not going to win, but we need uh, just to make it. And uh, and so you ended up with this you know this bogus selection really. In the end, actually, Anna Baxter, you know, got a decent vote. She wasn't humiliated. Uh, I mean, that would have been the risk, you know, if she'd ended up with five votes or something. And um, but, uh, you know, why not allow a proper contest in that seat rather than try and rig it, frankly, in favour of of Mark Seward's? I mean, you know, no doubt Mark Seward is a very good local councillor. He doesn't doesn't uh, strike me as a future cabinet minister, but I may be wrong. Um, and I'm sure that Anna Baxter one day will be, um, you know, uh, will you know she's she's done all right by the age of twenty. Uh, but it does strike me that she wasn't the strongest person that could have been up against Mark Seward. So it's it's this involvement in the of the. It's not always the centre that does it. It's, in this case, it was the regional office that, uh, you know, manipulated. Shall we put it that way? Uh, this particular selection, and of course, none of this is really known to. The constituents, the voters of uh, Leeds South and uh, Morley, uh, which Labour can expect to win at the next election, um, but you know, I think some of it should be. I think some of the fixing that goes on, and in some cases, downright fiddling that goes on, needs to be um, uh, the the public needs to be a lot more aware of it. There's a Conservative one that you mentioned to me earlier because it's not it's not all Labour no, uh, no. Labour shenanigans, is it? There are some interesting. Conservative ones yeah. as well. What's happening in um, Bridlington and the Wolds? That struck me as quite an interesting, uh, well, interesting constituency. Bridlington and the Wolds is um, uh, is a sort of a new seat, um, and uh, it's most a lot of it's um, what used to be called the East Yorkshire constituency, represented by Greg Knight, a former deputy chief whip on the, of the Conservatives. He's standing down, and so it's a you know a plum opportunity. I think it's sort of round about number eighty on the. Um, uh, uh, you know the the the, the safest of, of the safest Labour seats, so a plum chance. And they were meant to have a selection uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, but the the dreadful storm that the country had then—I forget the name of the storm—but uh, prevented them having the meeting, and it's been postponed. And it, it's a really interesting one because you've got quite a good uh, lineup of people, um, including two uh, current Conservative MPs and junior ministers whose uh, existing seats are being are basically being carved up under the boundary changes. And that's the added complication in this round of selections, that we've got a lot of new seats or a lot of seats that have changed radically because of the boundary uh, changes. The boundary changes are needed because uh, with a growing population and certain parts of the country growing more than others, uh, if you're not careful, some seats have a much bigger population than other seats. And there's a, a legal requirement to try and keep the size of the seats in terms of the number of voters uh, fairly equal. So all these new constituencies have been created. And so the two ministers who are uh, on the shortlist for this seat when the selection does take place in a week or two, uh, Richard Holden, who's a junior transport minister, he's, uh, his seat of northwest Durham has been carved up into about four other seats. And then Stuart Andrew, who's... Uh, the uh, a junior uh, equalities minister and has been uh, a minister for quite a while in various uh, roles. He's he's up for it as well, um, and also on the list you've got a, um, a a couple of local councillors 
Amazingly, they both represent the same ward on East Yorkshire Councillor. Both of them are in PR. One of them actually works for the Conservative Party uh, and one of them works in sports PR. Uh, and then also uh, on the res- the reserve in this um, constituency is a guy called Seb Payne or Sebastian Payne, who some of your uh, listeners and viewers may um, be familiar with. He's uh, a, a, a well-known journalist, works for the Financial Times and written um, a very good book about the Red Wall, all those areas in Northern and Midlands, uh, which were Labour and, and became Conservative at the last election. So it's it's quite a good lineup that, uh, and for a plum seat. And I shall be uh, uh, following that uh, very closely on on the night. Um, whether Seb Payne will actually make it to the uh, the final shortlist, I doubt, because that depends on somebody dropping out. But quite often, people who uh, who are reserves and then get onto the shortlist are uh, uh, do end up being chosen for, for for reasons I've never managed to work out. Yeah, that is an interesting one. We we have in fact had uh, Seb Payne on this podcast uh, when he was just starting. Well, no, in fact, when he was at the Financial Times, he yeah. now runs. Runs a think tank. Uh, yeah. he, he runs a, a think tank called Onward. But I, I see that he has tried to put himself forward for a few different seats. I think he's from Gateshead originally uh, yeah. in the northeast, but he's tried a few different places. So I guess he's sort of the conservative equivalent of uh, Eddie Izzard, isn't he? Who I, I think at last count was maybe on his fourth or fifth constituency that he was trying to get 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 elected as the the Labour candidate in. Well, Eddie Izzard's now sort of trying for Brighton Pavilion. Uh, having tried for Sheffield Central. Um, and also there was another star contender or sort of half star contender in Paul Mason, the journalist, tried for Sheffield Central. But Seb Payne, uh, who would I think, you know, he's a uh, he's a highly intelligent, you know, thinker. Uh, it would be a, a huge asset to the Conservatives, I think, if he was in Parliament. He's tried for, um, well, he tried for Selby. Uh, he's tried for Bromsgrove. He's tried for Broxbourne in Hertfordshire. And so uh, he has moved around a bit. And um, the danger is if you move around like that, you become a bit of a laughing stock. And of course, me doing this Twitter feed probably contribute. I mean, I don't mock them for it because I think it's it's only reasonable if you, you know, if you're, if you're ambitious, you want a job, you try lots of different places. Um, but uh, there are some people who feel that this is, you know, they, they talk about disparagingly about, you know, uh, carpet baggers or people being parachuted in. Um, whereas, um, but, and, and you know, you've got to be careful when you're a contender these days, you've got to, uh, be sparing in, in how many places you apply for. There was a time when it was quite normal for lots of, you'd almost have a circus of conservative, um, you know, high, would be for high flyers, just moving around the country from seat to seat. And in each case, one of them getting selected and the rest of the caravan then moves on. You know, in the, 25 years ago, the caravan would have included David Cameron, George Osborne, Theresa May, Damien Green. And whereas now that is regarded as uh, a bit off that kind of behaviour. And, um, you know, there's much more emphasis these days, very damagingly, in my view, on candidates being local. Uh, and, you know, you've got to try and dredge up some local link if you're an ambitious uh, would-be MP. Uh, the trouble is, you know, for most people, how many places can they think of where they can claim that they're local? Um, and uh, it's terribly restricting. Uh, but that's, um, uh, yes, yeah, uh, I mean, I said pain will get somewhere in the end. And of course, crucially, what will happen in this round of selections is that as we get nearer and nearer to the election, they will become less and less democratic. 
And so as soon as the election's called, you'll find a whole load of um, uh, MPs suddenly announce their retirements. And um, uh, and the, the party high command will, both Conservative and Labour, will say, oh, dear, it's getting really late. We haven't got time to run a proper selection process. Uh, we'll, have to t- we'll have to give you a shortlist. And so they'll then play the trick of a shortlist of, you know, one superstar and two duds. And so the local party, be it Conservative or Labour, hasn't got much choice. And that's, that's happened at election after election. Uh, I mean, in my view, it's bogus. You can run a democratic uh, selection within a matter of days if you're determined to do so. Uh, but it will give the opportunity for Starmer's office and Sunak's office to put into Parliament people they think will be really good assets to the front bench, uh, you know, potential cabinet ministers, people who've worked in Downing Street or worked closely to, to Starmer or just stars who haven't, you know, haven't made it. Maybe Seb Payne, you know, uh, maybe Eddie Izzard if they haven't made it uh, so far. And... Um, you know, I can't, I, I can't blame them in a way for wanting to do that because, after all, it is important that the uh, parliamentary party, be it Conservative or Labour, is as strong as possible. Because we do, you know, you do need people of great ability to serve as as cabinet ministers, to run departments, to run the government. You know, they can't. We can't run a decent government on a bunch of mediocrities. And the danger is that, uh, you know, government ministers are becoming more mediocre because uh, there's been more emphasis on, you know, are they a good local MP? Do they come from the area where they're born here? Uh, There's been much more emphasis in recent years on that uh, than there has been on whether they're future high flyers. It's almost as if future high flyers are looked down on and and, uh, are to be avoided. Uh, which is terribly, terribly damaging, I think, to the good governance of this country. Uh, you know, and uh, and I think that's true, whatever your views are. You know, I just think it's so important. I guess the, the, the case of Vichy Sunak is quite interesting, yes. isn't it? Because obviously he was elected in super rural Richmond uh, in North Yorkshire, like farming country, uh, and he came up as a... Uh, a chemist's son, as he always describes it, from Southampton of Indian descent with no links at all to North Yorkshire. But he, uh, so, but he, it was it was obvious, I think, to uh, locals in that area that this was a politician with a lot of promise. And so no they, put, they put aside his lack of local links and they uh, voted him in in what is now, you know, an incredibly safe uh, North Yorkshire seat, um, but like you said, that and Richmond in his seat in North Yorkshire has a tradition. Uh, it's extraordinary, actually. If you look back at who who's uh, represented North Yorkshire, uh, Richmond before the previous MP was William Hague, uh, who uh, of course was Foreign Secretary and, and Conservative leader at one point, uh, and before him it was Leon, Leon Britton. Uh, who was Home Secretary, and so they've had you know three people in a row who have held. Uh, the great offices of of state, and clearly the Conservative Association in Richmond, you know, do like high flying MPs. They're proud of the fact that they've got famous politicians uh, as uh, representing them. Whereas in some constituency associations, they don't want that at all. They just want somebody who's going to deal with all the local problems, and you know, they'd rather their MP not be uh, a minister. And I think there's the same attitude on the on the Labour side as well. 
It's interesting because um, Rishi Sunak did try for selection. It was a second time, I think, his second selection. He he tried for, um, it's one of the Hertfordshire seats uh, held by Oliver Dowden. And Oliver Dowden beat him uh, for the selection there. And now Dowden, of course, is his, uh, effectively the deputy prime minister in 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 Sunak's government. It's it's quite unusual for people to get selected uh, first time round. And obviously, the more selection processes you go through, uh, the more uh, the more experience you get, and and more understanding of what what's required in the process. Um, the trouble is, it gets very expensive. Now, Sunak, of course, is a very wealthy man, uh, partly through his own uh, past career and partly through his wife. And he had the time to spend uh, getting to know the seat and, you know, spending months and months and months going around, meeting all the farmers, getting to know everybody's problems, both before he was selected and after he was selected. Uh, and I think that it's one of the considerations as to why uh, a lot of people just don't bother. It is it is quite expensive trying to become a candidate. Yeah, There's all the travel, the hotels. Uh, you know, you, you sometimes in, in the case of the Labour Party, not the Conservatives, they print literature and make videos and so on. And um, uh, there's a limit to how often you can do that, even for the wealthiest can. And of course, you've got to take time off work. Uh, and I, I suppose if you do a job where you, you can take the time off work, that's easy. But there are a lot of people who don't, who can't. And I think that's one of the reasons why there are so few working class candidates these days. I mean, even Labour, Labour, you know, meant to be the party of of Labour. Uh, there's only about half a dozen Labour candidates in this round. You can say, do, you know, working class, what you, jobs you would regard as working class jobs or or really well, or really badly paid jobs. Uh, and I think that is a really sad development. And I think it's, you know, people go on about the number of women in Parliament, the number of ethnic minorities and so on. Actually, the figures on that aren't bad, but the figures on in terms of social class, really are worse than worse than they've been in 150 years. Let me finish, uh, Michael, by asking you what is the future for tomorrow's MPs? I mean, obviously, you've you've described it as your your obsession. You you, you spend a lot of time dealing with contacts, I imagine, and uh, you know, doing your research and so forth. I guess you know it's all focused on the upcoming election, whenever that. Is going to be is that will you will you stop doing it after after the election or do you is there a longer term future for this project do you think no I'm, I'm I'm I've decided I'm going to do it for the rest of my life so long as my brain is capable of working and in, in a way I wish I'd done it at the start because of my career because I would have then built up a great uh, you know a great range of contacts knowing all these politicians at their very early stages in their career and talking to them and the, and then then going on to higher things and um uh, but uh, it's it's a huge fun i do intend to carry on and what i'm determined to do is try and institutionalize it and expand it beyond just twitter uh you know the future of twitter or x as it's called i mean i, I can't use that term but uh it is uh you know it has to be a bit doubtful uh ideally i'll i'll set up a website uh, and I would like to sort of link up with some kind of institution, be it a think tank uh, or a, a university. And I, I need to employ more people because there's so much more work to do. I mean, in a way, I, I, you know, I, I, when I cover each of these selections, I announce the results, you know, and uh, say a bit, a, a little bit about who's won. And then I move on to the next one. Whereas what I really ought to be doing is going back a, a while later and say, now tell us what really happened behind the scenes. And I'm, I'm going to do, I want to do a lot more of that. And in between, 
I mean, if, if a, a government's elected with a decent majority, it means there won't be another election for another four or five years. And the first two years of the new parliament, uh, when there won't be any selections happening, I'm, I'm want to go. I want to sort this out, and then I also want to go back in in time in history, and and talk to and find out how uh, you know uh, many of our current politicians, the details of how they were selected. Because if you if you meet any politicians and you're having a drink late at night, the one thing that they will talk you talk to you at length about is how they were selected, how they managed to fix it or fiddle it. Um, or somebody else, uh, they you know, they were fixed or fiddled against, and the one they expected to get, the dead cert somehow never happened, uh, and how they ended up being selected for one they didn't expect. <laughs> and uh, every MP has got his selection stories, and I want to gather all those in. I also want to write a book about it all. I did, there's just so much amazing material. and um, But, you know, we are actually talking about serious stuff here. We are talking about... Uh, who are the people who will be governing us for the next few decades? Uh, and why Why were they chosen by their local parties? Not really by the electorate, but they, by their local parties. Uh, and why were other people not chosen? Well, if you're a, a big think tank or a, a university maybe, and you've got a bit of money and you want to give it to Michael so he can do uh, a book and a big expose on all this stuff, I'm sure you know where to find him. The, uh, the Twitter or X handle is tomorrow's MPs, I really advise you to uh, give it a follow and, and keep up to date with everything he's producing. Um, Michael Crick, great to talk to you. Thank you, Rob. And thank you for all your work on in this area, because you're you know, one of the uh, rare journalistic outlets that, that looks into these selections as well. There are some local papers that do it, but nothing like as many as there used to be, because of course there aren't as many local papers as there used to be. No, well, that is a, a that's a subject for another day, I think. Uh, Michael Crick, thank you. Thank you for listening to the Northern Agenda podcast. And don't forget, you can subscribe to our daily newsletter at thenorthernagenda.co.uk. It's more important than ever for Northern voices to be heard. The Northern Agenda is a laudable production for Reach. It's presented by me, Rob Parsons, and it's produced by Daniel J. McLaughlin. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to The Northern Agenda wherever you listen to your podcasts, including Apple and Spotify. Also, check out the other laudable podcasts. See you next week. Bye-bye.